0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Waffle podcast. This podcast is now brought to you by Bracken Design, an assets company. They're now giving Creative Waffle listeners twenty percent off. If you use code waffle20 at checkout with bracken there's no limited psd templates or photoshop actions that will rasterize your type this means that they're really easy to use and they can give your work that little extra edge especially when you're creating sports graphics textures are absolutely key and using premium textures can really set you apart so there's a link down in the description below and if you use waffle20 at checkout then you'll get 20 percent off please do go and check them out they're well worth using in your work and with that 20 percent discount they're an absolute steal so without further ado let's get into the podcast So it's frozen for me, but I can still hear you, so that's fine.
1: <laughs> oh no, is my, my videos frozen? Oh, it says yeah. your video stopped working.
0: Hmm. How's that? Did that fix it. That's I'm it. We're back. Nice. All right. That's weird. I
1: did I did touch my camera because um, I'm I was really small and like a bunch of logos started popping up. So I'm probably messing something up. This is also my first Microsoft Teams where we're expanding a lot in
0: the creative suite. Yeah. <laughs> nice all right so what what's up to use it athletic, then Are you uh, and uh slack, we, or? We're, we're still zooming i mean we're slack
1: all I the mean. time slack is where we live but uh yeah we do our little calls on zoom sometimes we do huddles on slack um yeah and then the new york times actually like they like to use google meet is that it google mm. meet uh mm. so they like to use those
0: so never microsoft teams for me very cool. Well, as I thought, Zoom was uh, without, was out now. I thought that was old school, but that's old school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was listening to um, a financial podcast about you what know, just about the news and you know Zoom's uh, yeah, really starting to um, fall away. You know, uh, their the financials after the pandemic, everyone yeah. started investing and in, in getting on the Zoom train, and then since then it's sort of gone downhill a bit. But mm-hmm. yeah. They're planning I think they're planning to do other stuff than just video calls. So they're trying to be a bit more dynamic, uh, you know, more calendar stuff, more reminders, um uh, uh other stuff other than work meetings. So they're trying to dynamic yeah. uh, They they
1: have the to. They have to. <laughs> Otherwise calendly is gonna come and take every mm-hmm. part of their business, right? I mean, he's ambitious, so they they oh, have yeah. to expand what they're doing. They can't rely on the pandemic sequence anymore, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. we're into the podcast. This is uh, fantastic. That was nice and easy. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. So, have you been watching watch the World Cup? Then you'll see. We've scheduled this strategically. I have been watching <laughs> a
1: lot of the World Cup, Mark. Yes, I, I have. Um, and unfortunately, like you know, there's there's those games that start at like 4 a.m. Originally, I was trying to catch those. Um, And and I I will confess a majority of my viewership of the World Cup has been kind of like in the background, uh, just because we can't we can't put off the workflow uh, two hours of the day, especially during World Cup. Um, Mm. It's it's been so much work on the editorial side for World Cup, but uh, it's all been really great and really rewarding. um, And it's really wonderful. This is the first time the World Cup has come into my professional workflow um so like you get to watch a tournament like this for
0: work right which is really yeah. a special thing yeah it's amazing I, i'm working in sports that's, that's the reason i work in sports just because it's, it's so magic you know everything's very reactionary and you can uh yeah you can really feel the magic of, of of the flow of the football um when you when you're you know working in it and on it uh yeah it's, it's magic it's really good love it mm-hmm. um so I was the america uh we're we probably going to put this podcast out straight away um, because it's going to be fairly topical, um, and I want to talk a little bit about the World Cup. So, as America, obviously, a bit of a shame and not got knocked out. Uh, yeah, we had a pretty boring game against England. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you say
1: boring, and I say riveting, right? Because this incredibly young team is going up against a football giant, and it's really <laughs> wonderful seeing these guys go out there and play and just how fast they approach the first half um you know and and like that's that's a really wonderful thing and when you're watching as a usa fan who's sort of gaming for uh you know the group of 16 you get so excited by a nil nil result. um you know obviously uh, my my colleagues over on the other side of the pond not so much they were expecting a little bit more energy and and you know movement by way of goals but um i was thrilled with that result i mean we actually would not have progressed (laughs) if it didn't land there and i was not anticipating a win against england um nor was i anticipating a win against netherlands um i mean these 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 guys are it's a really wonderful team to watch i'm very excited to watch them in 2026 uh and maybe even perhaps uh had have the luxury of going to see a match uh in 2026 um as Mm -hmm. it's, it's coming home but um (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I I, I I love watching these guys. And now I get to, you know, root for England and stand by a majority of our editorial design team is actually in um, Ireland and the UK now oh, as yeah, cool. our current makeup. So now I get to be like 100% for them, you know, which
0: yeah. is fun. That's pretty astounding uh, that you, you root for England as well. I can't say, I'll be honest, I can't say there's a lot of love coming from England to America in terms of football. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that's been a <laughs> <laughs> Well, so my partner's American, so she, she's from Kentucky, away. Um So, she, well, yeah, we've got a bit of a nice rivalry going on in the, in the flat um, until, obviously, the Netherlands game. And then, mm-hmm. obviously, the sad thing happened. But, um, yeah, so you're fully England now. You're fully, like, hoping we win the World Cup. <laughs> i just
1: you know it's been so long you know like you every four <laughs> years you blast uh, you yeah. know three lions in your car in oh, your yeah. honda civic and you get so into it <laughs> and like the world just wants it you know right the world wants i i think the world wants it to come home uh and and it just it makes my relationship with my colleagues more fun uh, yeah. but you know i also um i'm a liverpool fan
0: so oh, come on the, yes i'm sorry <laughs> no, that's good that's good I'm sorry. I'm, I'm I'm not li- sorry. No, i'm little as well i'm little as well that oh fantastic
1: <laughs> fantastic okay I, I came into work uh, and um my my mate sam is a huge tottenham fan so uh mm-hmm. we got off to a rocky start but we've come to love each other in a really powerful way but um if you know the world cup is so much fun in this way where you have all these footballers that you love and very quickly they're everywhere right so you know you're you're um I'm watching, uh, you know, Nunez with Uruguay and like I'm watching USA, you know, go against the Dutch. And it's tough because Van Dyke is like possibly my favorite footballer mm-hmm. ever. Um, and that's largely because I didn't play. I didn't play soccer. I didn't play football. Um, but my younger brother, it, he's huge. It, like we're both built big. He's built bigger and he's a very big kid for his age. He's a freshman in high school. Uh, There's like a 10-year age difference between the two of us. He is a big defensive soccer player. Um, They used to call him like the Rhino. And uh, (laughs) so I I came to love Van Dyke in that way because, like, we were just really happy about uh, my little brother's participation in the sport. And so, you know, it's just it's a world of fun. So it's easy to root for England at this point, you know, for me.
0: That's great. Well, so I know Sam. Um, Sam gave me tickets to, well, I bought tickets. He's, he's got a season ticket at Tottenham. He I, I couldn't go to a game, and I, I bought a season ticket off of him for a game um, against Fulham. It was good. It was, and his, his seats are fantastic at the Spurs Stadium. Oh, really, really good seats. Um, oh, yeah. But he's a lovely guy, Sam. So, yeah, I'll, I'll try and get him on the podcast as well eventually. Um, he's a busy guy as well. I know you guys at the Athletic are very busy. Uh, yes.
1: Lots and lots of work on
0: <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, so the so the World Cup fever in America, how is it? How's how's things going on over there? I've seen, I've seen a few clips of parties and, and beer being yeah the air. Yeah, it's yeah,
1: it's exceptional. It's really mm. wonderful what is happening this year. And just like the popularity of the sport. I mean, obviously, um, you know, NWSL, the, the women's team winning in uh, the World Cup uh, not mm. too long ago, that was huge for the popularity of soccer in America. Uh, particularly NWSL, which has become like a huge vertical for us at The Athletic. Um, and that's, that's so exciting, right? That we're able to um, popularize and create a larger market for those sports. Um, and you just, you love to see, you know, I, I think the last two World Cups, the American focus on the World Cup has been like, look at these guys flopping on the ground. And it's just, it's <laughs> so infuriating because you know what those guys are doing. Like, I'd like to see you run on a pitch that big for two hours long. Like, <laughs> you don't understand this game at all. Um, mm. Whereas this this year, it's more adoptive. Um, everyone seems to be excited. And with, you know, USA being eliminated not, not too many days ago, like, the, the enthusiasm is still there. Um, they're not, you know, USA or nothing, which I don't know how familiar you are with america i know your, your spouse is america it usually tends to be usa or nothing um so the fact that everyone is still eyes on the tournament with the usa out it's refreshing right it's a really special thing
0: that's fantastic that's good to hear and i, I can't wait for uh 2026 i mean it's going to be huge for the growth of sport in in the north in north america and uh central america obviously being in mexico as well um mm-hmm. yeah it's gonna be gonna be fantastic for the sport i think
1: yeah, I agree.
0: It's it's really gonna be exciting. And the
1: accessibility of that tournament is really gonna be wonderful. The fact that like fans all over the continent will be able to to quickly access the tournament. I mean, everyone in Europe is gonna be able to come to the East Coast very quickly. Everyone in mm. South America is gonna be able to come to, you know, Central America very, very quickly. It's it's gonna be a lot of fun.
0: I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think I'm gonna try and get to the game at Atlanta, or some game at Atlanta. I think it's closest one to. I think it's the closest stadium to Kentucky, uh, Indiana way. I uh, will see, but um, even that's still quite a drive, you know. But, <laughs> oh, we'll yeah. see. but oh yeah, Well, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I mean, just anything is gonna be incredible. But um, we'll, work it out. <laughs> we'll get over there. I just, I just feel like it's such a such a huge thing. I mean, you know, thinking back to '94 as well. I mean, I wasn't alive, but uh, it, it, the history of that tournament has has really made a huge huge dent in um, in the World Cup scene. So. Now, with, uh, with being over there again, I think it'd be amazing to go go over there. I haven't been to a World Cup game, so just, just going to that would be incredible. I was at the Euros, which is our, our um, Cup America. And, uh, right. and that, was, that was just, I went to the semi final yesterday versus Spain at Wembley. And wow, there's just, the passion was incredible. I mean, yeah. Nothing, the best, game, most electric game I've been to, and it was 0 0. It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah. Very, very good, very good stuff. But um yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, for sure. yeah, so anyway, let's get into a bit about yourself and design stuff in the chat, and uh, I guess who who are you? Could you introduce yourself to the uh, to the audience? For sure. Yeah,
1: um, my name is John Bradford. I'm an editorial designer at The Athletic, which essentially means I focus on Uh, providing design support for stories. Uh, So I work in collaboration with storytellers. um, More predominantly, I work with editors uh, to create header images, sort of like the face, the book cover of editorial pieces at The Athletic. And sometimes when we have like a bigger production story, we'll focus on how design can be utilized to better tell the story throughout uh, so it won't just be like a header image with, you know, the story and text below it. Like sometimes we'll focus on how does design come into the inline experience? Could it be an interactive experience for the World Cup? We just launched this huge thing called um, the Radar, which every year we release the Radar uh, for you know professional football. But um in the uk specifically that's not, not american football i'm gonna trip over that a lot <laughs> but um the, so so it's basically like a massive book of incredible talent and breaks down in some data visualizations those footballers and uh we did one special for uh the world cup that was a little bit more interactive but yeah um generally that's what i do i kind of try my very best to create the face of articles, some of the best articles uh, for some of the best storytellers we have at The Athletic.
0: Mm. Nice. That's a good summary. What uh, What is The Athletic uh, for people who don't know? There's a lot of people who, um, who, as this podcast has uh, transitioned mm-hmm. to sports design, uh, mm-hmm. won't really know and they're trying to keep up with the sports design uh, topics. So what, what is The Athletic? For sure. Uh, so if you don't know what The Athletic is, you should know what The Athletic
1: is. It's uh, <laughs> an incredible media company. Um, based out of everywhere. Uh, we are kind of like an HQ list company at this point. We used to be based out of San Francisco,, uh, but we have talent and team everywhere across the US, um, in Australia, in the UK. Uh, we have a huge team in the UK, and what they're doing with the World Cup right now is formidable. and that's you know that's an intercontinental effort there. Um, but essentially, we are a news organization that focuses on stories within the world of sports. Um, And we try our very best to expand that understanding in that vein of storytelling to every like interpersonal understanding of sport. Um, And, and we kind of in this way, treat sports professional sports as a prism for storytelling um, in a way of us reaching people who use sports to navigate their lives, right. Navigate their communities um, and, and how it becomes a part of, who they are. So that's that's kind of what we try to approach in our business. Uh, we were acquired by the New York Times in January of this year. I really can't believe we're still in the same calendar year of that acquisition, but we are. Um, I joined The Athletic in January of 2021. Um, Sam, who we mentioned just a little bit before this, uh, joined one month prior. Um, so we've been at The Athletic working together in the editorial department for quite a while, um, and it's only been two years, but it feels like a very long time. Um, but yeah, yes, and we are now a, a New York Times company, very happy to be a New York Times company, and we're just trying to elevate some of the best storytellers in, in sports as best we can.
0: Yeah, and well, so The Athletic completely changed the, the landscape of sports journalism and brought some of the best names in sports journalism together and then created like a its own unique, like, Place for, for the best writing of sports and now is considered to be the top. So yeah, very very impressive what what they've done and uh, how it's all come together for sure. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, well, and also the obviously the I the, think the design side of stuff is is incredible as well. so this, the style we'll get to the style I guess. Now I mean, how how much uh, how how much work and effort did it take to bring the style together and. Um, is it a thing that's come from the top, and is it like uh, a direction that's, that everyone's come together and chosen, or, or how's yeah, how's it come about? That is a really interesting
1: question that I think can be attributed um, to the talent of some incredible designers who are no longer at the athletic, but um our former creative director um turned uh, sort of like head of brand Stu Oler. Um, he was with The Athletic from its beginning, I believe in 2015, may have been 2016. Um, and he kind of like was the designer. I mean, you know, startups, uh, I'm sure our yeah. listeners know startups. Like it you, you start with like four or five people, right? And Stu was there from the beginning. I, I, he worked at um, another company, Strava, with our two founders. Um, I don't know if that's where they got started or if it came after and, and they sort of like knew Stu from there. But Stu, so much of what we do today is thanks to Stu Ohler and his creative direction and the way he inspired every designer that reported to him at the time. Um, And then my uh, boss, um, Wes McCabe, uh, former boss, um, he's now with Apple, uh, totally kicking it. But uh, he he was an incredible teacher. Um, He was not, he was not just a coworker, right? Um, I came to the company at age 23, um, very ambitious and eager to get started. And he had this level of consideration that I believed I had, but I didn't know, um, you know, editorial consideration until I met Wes. Um, And we had some really incredible conversations about conduct and ethics and the responsibility of starting with a blank canvas um, for a a finished story, more or less, right? Um, And the fact that this story was going to affect X number of people, um, a a huge audience, and was going to play into the, you know, the projection and telling of the story in, like, such a serious way. Um, So I I think that Stu and Wes and Adrian um, really together, heard the goals of The Athletic and what The Athletic aimed to do differently from existing media companies, media companies prior. I mean, the the economic landscape in the U.S. in 2016, I don't think there was like anyone who knows the virtue of business and was going like, start a media company, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like th- that's a profitable business to get started. Um, but our, our, our founders had, um, you know, ambitions and You know, the antecedent was um it was a void, right? There there was no company that we were trying to mirror or be a new version of with a like new polished coat of paint. Um we really were trying to do something differently. And I think Adrian and um Stu and Wes sort of heard that demand and translated that into visual language. And um we treat that very seriously today with the current design team. Uh, we we handle it with a lot of respect, um, and, you know, I'll be honest, a lot of the current design team that is working with a lot of the visual language and brand that exists at The Athletic was uh, reached out to because our work kind of reflected that direction already, um, or at least some of the existing work that we had before. Uh, Stu reached out to me um, in 2020 and said, you know, I see your work and I really, like what i'm seeing i'd love to have a conversation about you coming to the athletic and i was like of course i'd love to have a conversation and at the time i'll be honest like what i cared about was editorial design i, I cared about uh, journalists and empowering capable storytellers i mean you can imagine what was happening when i started undergrad in 2016 in america um it was the height of the, the I, I went to undergrad through uh the trump administration right and so it inspired me to work with capable storytellers and I asked Stu one question, because I wasn't terribly into sports at the time. I, I, I didn't want to work in sports design necessarily. But I said, like, Stu, is The Athletic you know, a company um, that tries to, on occasion, challenge its readers? Um, and that, that was a question I took very seriously, because um, I wanted us to be willing and eager to tell a story to a fan base that might be really difficult to tell, um, and he said absolutely, and you know he couldn't have been more right. Uh, in in those in these last two years, I've worked with some of the most capable journalists and storytellers who take their jobs and roles as journalists in this industry as seriously as you possibly could, um, and they're these are life changing people, you know they're they're inspirational in every way. Um, and being able to work with them and empower their voices in the best way we know how it's uh it's really, it's amazing. It keeps you getting up the next day and, and going to work eager and, and you feel like you're a part of something bigger. Um, and so I think our visual language really reflects that respect for storytelling, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. And then the respect for, you know, dynamic consideration of just people, right? Because there's, it, like I said, we, we think of sport as a prism for humanity in a
0: way. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a lot to break down. That's quite a profound the way you said that. That's, that's really cool. Uh, well, I guess the first thing you mentioned uh, that I want to pick up on is about the leadership um, yeah. of, is it Sean and Wes? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So well, well what,
1: we have, sorry, we have uh, Stu and Wes. We're,
0: we're Stu like, and Wes, sorry. Kind of my my original two that I worked with a lot. Cool. So what what about their leadership did you really like and what, what made them good leaders in the design field, I guess, specifically? Yeah. I,
1: I think they were just really great human beings, um, who were very empathetic and considerate in everything that they did. Um, I think of design in a very holistic way, you know, like when I look at like the placement of a street sign or like the way a burrito was wrapped or like the decision to put cumin in something. Like I think of all of those things as design decisions. Um, I wanna critique those design decisions. I wanna think about what inspired those design decisions, right? It's, uh, it's perilous and virtuous at the same time. Uh, but uh, I, I think that my, my former colleagues, just with everything they did, thought about the way it would affect other people. Um, they thought about the repercussions for their efforts, um, the virtue of their efforts, and that never like, stopped them, that never um, slowed them down, but um, you know, it's, it's an added charge that they gave themselves and it was an added piece of work that they had to, you know, they, they had to bring that into their workflow and, and allocate time for it. Um, and so like, it's kind of hard to holistically say how they were such great leaders and like the foundation that they laid for the athletic as a whole, the athletic fifteen years from now will look like a product of you know these three designers um, and that's such an incredible thing Anyone who is currently on a team, a very small team of people who are you know if you're wondering are we going to you know make a difference? the only people in the world of design I believe who have ever like made a profound difference is a small hardworking group of people um take seriously like what, what you're doing right now and what you're undertaking is. But um, yeah, like we just, we would have incredible conversations about um, like tone and empathy and consideration and and process. Um, and Wes like so quickly would just be able to come up with examples in the industry um, of like the way a story develops, right? Uh, like a good example being if like a major story broke about a particular athlete and you know their conduct or something that they had recently done, something they were charged with doing, um, it probably isn't appropriate to put too much of an editorial voice in that visual language, right? The story has yet to be told. Um, the editorial has yet to be told. This is largely reporting at this point, right? Um, editorialization will come later when more facts have developed and the the truth is a bit clearer. Um, And so just little things like that, right? Like the market will say, I want to see more visually, right? Like if you include more vectors, more textures, more excitement, more colors, um, then the readers are gonna come to you. But like, is that the appropriate thing to do As the story is developing right there's not necessarily one correct answer but these are the sorts of questions and challenges that these early design leaders instilled in a lot of the designers at the athletic
0: um early on and and we take it very seriously and we're grateful yeah wow Uh, so so one thing i'm trying to do at the moment is is look long term my role and think about the the club and where it wants to go in the future and you know have that impact because that's i think that's mainly what designers are looking for you know, people that well designers that are thinking about this you know conscious designers where, who are actually thinking about what legacy they want to leave what you know how they want to make the world look better um uh, mm-hmm. for the long terms and how the, you know, the, the lasting impact they want to lead how how would well how, first of all how are you doing it at the athletic now and how would you advise people to start thinking about that for their own place work workplace
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I I think it it kind of could go back to the holistic design idea is, you know, continue to treat almost everything in your life, every decision you make um, as a design decision, something led to your making that decision. Um, And if you're building a foundation, or you're trying to consider the way that, you think your club um or, or your company or your agency should be revered or considered you know 10 20 years from now my best advice would be to take it very personally right and and really just the question that was posed internally to you is how do you want to see it how do you think that the club should be seen Um, And and if you find yourself in a position where like your leadership or your manager thinks differently from you, then that is an opportunity to have a conversation Um, because the reality is they might need to hear the way that you feel um, the way that you think of the club and the business and the agency and, and, and the voice that you project, right? Because everyone has a voice. Every company has a voice and, and, you're crafting that voice um, as someone who speaks visual language, you know, the the most spoken language in the world. Um, And so that should be taken seriously. Um, Yeah, I would, I take it personally. Um, I I instill myself and and my personality in a lot of the stuff that I do. Um, A lot of times I remove myself. I remove, you know, my thinking on tone or something like that for the betterment of a particular narrative or a storyteller um but i think that like sometimes the removal of yourself can be a very personal thing too because you believe so strongly in this particular direction or you believe in um the the club or or very specifically you want to see the club succeed um and and prosper and you know that this protect this particular moment where you might subdue the way that you feel is probably going to work out. Um, and and more than anything, like I tend to want to be an asset to the team, um, to my direct team of colleagues, to the newsroom, and then to the company overall. Um, and so like, I'll, I'll when I'm making like one image for a particular story, I'll think like, how will this lead to, um, you know, greater success of my colleagues, people who like, I've never even had the... The pleasure of meeting before right like how will this benefit them and their livelihoods um and i think as long as you keep it like very simple and personal in that way um you'll be proud of the ultimate result i hope i think so yeah
0: yeah well I, so my i mean uh, to summarize that i'm definitely going on a bit of a journey within the club to um uh, find out what mm-hmm. what the what the club wants to how they want to be perceived for the next few years um and then obviously I've got my own opinions, but I don't want to tell anyone those until <laughs> until I've figured out what everyone else thinks first, otherwise it might persuade them or, or like it might it might prompt them to say one thing rather than another. Um, so I've got a chat with uh, Steve, uh, who's the, the CEO of, of the club um, you know, this mm-hmm. week. And so that's a good starting point. And then we're going to have a bit of a round table and see where it goes from there. But yeah, it's a huge project to, to undertake. And, um, I'm very excited about it. I think it's a big challenge and a huge one for, for our portfolio. but. Um, and, and for that legacy thing as well, like it's absolutely massive. If I can have the impacts, I do, I believe what you say about the small design teams made the most impact. I mean, I'd like to be more than one designer at this club, but uh, uh-huh. it's. Uh, uh-huh. but, but at the moment uh, that's, that's where it's at. And um, we'll see where, we'll see where it goes in a few years. But I think that that would be my legacy as well, to try and like, try and grow this club to have more than one designer and see yeah. the importance of having more than one designer. Um,
1: Small design like teams are
0: powerful, right?
1: But like getting more designers on your team, that's not going to erode the the power of your voice. It's just going to make your life easier. So so don't don't feel like you got to keep your team small
0: necessarily. Yeah. Really. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you yeah, know small design teams talking like two, three, four, five, not one person. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, one person is mm-hmm. great, but you just need diversity of thought and impact uh, and um, uh, the ability to make more work than just one person counts. <laughs> yeah, um.
1: Absolutely. 100% of the time that I show my work to my colleagues at The Athletic, it gets better. 100%. Mm. That they give me, it could be the smallest note or it could be a note like, I really do believe you have to take this in an entirely different direction. No matter what it is in scale, it will 100% of the time make the work better. So like my colleagues are my greatest asset.
0: Yeah, that is powerful. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, we'll get there eventually. It's just a matter of convincing enough people within. Uh... Oh yeah, it's all about <laughs> scale. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so one thing I've tried to try to figure out, figure out for a while, um, and you know, done a, lot, done a lot of YouTube videos and what, try, try to watch a lot of things and done a lot of research about it, it's design thinking because I've never really found a clear summary of what it is. But from what you're saying and from what I think you're saying anyway, and my perception of what you're saying, um, is that thinking about how a decision leads to another point and then how that impacts a long chain down the road. Mm-hmm. Is that sort of the, your, your definition of design thinking or the, or the what you're thinking about it?
1: Yeah, design thinking has kind of become a bit of a charged term, right? Um, because I, I do think that there are a lot of people who take the concepts and practices of design thinking and they abuse the the wealth um, that design thinking. I, I think when people think about design thinking, they very quickly like conjure the image of like um, the IDEO process, right? And like putting a thousand post-its on the wall. Sometimes it's just word salad, right? Sometimes it's just like, let's put keywords on the wall and just have fun, right? What we're designing is a trash can, but like it should be, playful, inspirational, fun. Like, and like at a certain point, there are designers like you and me who are at our desk all day long, heads down and going like, yeah, that must be nice. Um, and and <laughs> usually, usually I think a lot of the same people who preach design thinking and its virtues, they have the time to market those ideas. And so they get on stages and and, you know, they They can be profound and inspirational, but then there are the people who are like, "This is so unaccessible." Um, and it's a really privileged way of conducting design um because not everyone has time for research and development or um you know, any kind of big think, right? Like that's a luxury. And when a team has time to do something like that, it's really special. Um, but design, so i would I would probably just in in my personal uh, professional endeavors, I I avoid the word design thinking just because of what's developed, but like, yeah, absolutely. Um, Just thinking of everything through design is something I certainly do. And I I went to graduate uh, school at the Savannah College of Art and Design in um, design management. And I think we kind of replaced the words design thinking with design management. And a, a lot of the questions posed in, those courses and and in that program, uh, which was a magnificent program, by the way, um, they really were holistic ideas, right? Um, It it was a lot of treating every design decision very seriously. Um, And that was something I wanted to explore. My senior project in undergrad was called um, Civilian on Patrol. And what it was, was a series of critical essays that studied, the design and um, like building of modern day American um, police force mechanisms, right? Um, Specifically things like uh, SWAT, the police whistle, um, a number of things. And and tried to identify the leaders who put those things in, in place and designed those things and calls them designers. Those essays called them designers and critiqued their design process. Um, and the real the reality is when you do that you realize they hadn't studied design and so the process was kind of uh, chaotic um, and so was the the end result. Um, but when you think about everything through the lens of design, um, including management, I, I think you very quickly can become more purposeful. And that's that's sort of why like you know if, if you're a designer, let's say at like a lemonade company, right? Let's just go all the way back to earliest metaphor. Um, if, if you're like a designer at a lemonade company, a lot of people will go like, what does the designers, the, the graphic designers voice matter at this lemonade company? What Like, do you have a history in lemonade? Like, But a graphic designer has been taught to think critically and procedurally, right? Um, and has been taught to face a problem with no solution approach, a blank canvas and deliver. Um, so if you're a graphic designer working at a lemonade company, you should feel empowered to also give your ten cents on the direction of the company, right? Because you've been taught to be a problem solver, um, and that's yeah, that, that's a lot of design management, greater design thinking, as as I see it. It's not uh, formalized, right? It's just I'm still figuring it out.
0: <laughs> oh, I, like, I like that. That was a good. Uh, that was a good bit of uh, information because I was trying to think as you were saying that it's about design management that's not really a term I've heard before and when I saw it on your website I was thinking oh maybe that's a bit more of managing people within design or if it's but but yeah now you, you know you say like that so oh, that's that's really interesting I haven't yeah I've not heard of that before yeah it was really it was really
1: all of the above like we had uh courses in that program uh where we just had to design business models and that was it it was mm. just like business model after business model, critiquing areas of other business models, market research. Um, and so like on the surface, c- coming with a background in graphic design, you wouldn't think of that as traditional design, but it all is, right? Like every leader is a designer and every designer is a leader. Um, so, you know, take seriously that power that you have as a problem solver, I I think.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I- I'm well, getting a bit meta as well. I mean, these decisions lead, lead to your, uh, you know, you, you you're eventual designing your own life, right? If you, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you, yep. every decision you make leads to the next thing. And if you get up and go to the gym early, then you, you're not going to, yeah, you know, it's all this <laughs> massive chain of events, isn't it? And it, that's it's what you're saying. Exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's all this massive chain. And, and you really are living and designing your own life at the same time, which is quite a cool mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Very cool. What else did you, um, what, what else did the course uh, cover? Oh, um, it really did
1: cover a lot. I mean, like, yeah, we, we started at some of the essentials. Like, um, it's so important to like know of design history and just like any anytime mm-hmm. you have a question, like how on earth did the traffic cone come to look like that? Um, like dig into it. It's you will never be disappointed. Even if the answer is like two sentences long, like a man named Bill in new Orleans, like just thought of it and did it like it it will fascinate you. Like, why did that come out of new Orleans? Like I want to know. Um, so like we started in that program with, um, some history. Uh, we kind of, we learned a lot of history of innovation and through that we learned a lot of, areas that make innovation successful. I, I believe my professors had started with like the difference between um, invention and innovation is an, in, an innovation is like a successful invention, kind of. I, I might be mincing that, but um sort of like through studying the history of innovation, studying like what made that innovation a success, right? Like, cause you, it takes one, one hand to design and and build a solution. And it takes another hand to get people to adopt it, right? Adoption is so key and that can be broken down into like so many areas. Um, And through that, like we had a whole course of just like drawing ideas, right? Like how do you draw an idea in a way that like gets someone to be able to read it, right? And in that way, like that, that goes right back to, you know, visual language, one. <laughs> and uh, and it is like, you know, how do you make your designs, your thoughts legible to a wider audience? Right. That's that's sort of the first step. And then adoption of a business model becomes another. Right. And so then you can start to critique Zoom, uh, as we mentioned, and uh, Zoom's business model and, uh, you know, what their market capacity is. Um, and you can start to have some really fun conversations about that. Um, I've got some colleagues at The Athletic who really, we just love to talk about, like, any area of business, um, you know, and Washington, because we feel like it's all design in that way. Um, so, yeah, totally. If anyone had went to, like, undergrad uh, for, uh, or, like, uni for, um, like, graphic design, and you want to take those concepts and those ideas a step further, of, of problem solving specifically, um, like I, I think design management, as you said, design thinking, um although I think that that term is being retired, it's just gonna be replaced with something else. Um, and uh, like any kind of like design academia, it's really it's really rewarding. um i am not a huge fan of academia, but um in the design sphere, but it's all very fascinating.
0: yeah, well, I really like the way you think you think. So I had this thing with uh, Jeremy Nelson, another designer that I had on the podcast recently, mm-hmm. and he, he, you guys seem to have something that I'm missing, like a, a way of speaking, a way of um, communicating about design, which I really love and I really want to get. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like it's like a deeper level of understanding. And um, I'm trying to, through these conversations as well, try to understand how to do that. And um, yeah, so, so you learned this, way of thinking i guess obviously from from your whole journey but uh, is there anything online that you've seen that i could take or a video that i could watch to help understand this a bit more that's a fantastic question
1: mark um i mean the reality like you and i we grew up on the internet um and so in, in 2006 when youtube came around we kind of like correct me if i'm wrong like i searched every question i ever had on youtube (laughs) i was kind of like i was like how does someone like use a saw like what's the what's the right way to cut wood right or something like that and like i was not cutting wood but i wanted to know um i I would say like just stay curious and keep reading read everything that's like another key thing is um you you read a story about like some you know conflict that went down on like paris fashion week you don't have to have any interest in fashion to have a takeaway from a story like that. Um, so like I read, uh, the New York times, the Atlantic, uh, the economist, wall street journal, Washington post, um, BBC. Right. Um, and and like just anything that pops up that sort of is like, Ooh, that's a little, that's a little interesting. A journalist worked hard on that. Um, click through, read it, um, and, and, you know, be fascinated, but also, to give a little bit more of a direct answer. um, There are some thinkers who completely changed my life on this. Elizabeth Guffey um, is a design uh, academic, and she was a professor of mine my sophomore year. I was one year into design school and was kind of like looking at the Trump administration and the disparity that was at least the disparity I perceived around me. And I was kind of like, do I really want to be making logos um, and working Mm -hmm. with vectors? And that is when Elizabeth Guffey was like, do you have any idea the significance that that has on people's lives? Like, like how much graphic design affects people's lives for better or for worse? Like, it's a very serious task that you have to respect and appreciate. Um, And she totally changed my life. I was like, yes, I'm staying in design. You've changed me. And and she was the one who really installed this holistic idea of design in me um, and and accessibility design, um, like predominantly. And she introduced me to um, a pretty um, original thinker, uh, Don Norman. Uh, He has a book called The Design of Everyday Things. I think it should be mandatory reading for anyone who wants to be any kind of a designer or anyone in any creative field. I think should read Don Norman. He's a bit of a curmudgeon. He's very strong in his ways. Um, but it really, it really is like, take seriously what we do um, in mm-hmm. this industry um, and never, ever sell yourself short for what the capacity of problem solving is, right? It's it's never ending. Um, if you are trained in being a problem solver, you're very capable, Mark. <laughs> There's a lot you can do.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah well, that makes you realize, yeah, how, how much uh, how much of the world so under, under design? That's for sure. Mm. Um, the athletic does got. not
1: undervalue design. I'll tell you that.
0: <laughs> that's yeah like that. that's great. <laughs> yeah, well, hence why yeah, hence why clubs of this size have got one designer or. You know, maybe see, you see all over all over the uh, industry. It's not just sports. You know, it, it's yeah, it's a shame. And, um, but I wonder also wonder how many how many designers are thinking on this sort of level as well. Like there's a lot of people that, you know, I, I do it sometimes as well. You know, well, a lot of the time, you know, thinking about how this looks and layout and stuff, and they're making a pretty picture. But sometimes you're not thinking about the actual meaning behind it. You're not thinking about um, how this impacts people when they're viewing it you know you're just trying to make something good for your portfolio and that's that's a huge issue i think in us in the sports design scene especially um you know making match day graphics or uh yeah i mean number of projects um you're making stuff for your for yourself it should be for the wider audience um backed up by data and backed up by uh just the feeling around the team at that time by the mm-hmm. audience or So just there's there's lots of things i mean um the club's vision uh the club's history yeah there's 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 loads of stuff that could come into your design but i think we're sucked into a way of designing for ourselves a lot of the time
1: um yeah i mean as as you know professional creatives we have to market ourselves which i think is actually something that i'm really bad at and need to improve with and I, i just i'm so bad at posting on social media, like, my work um, and, and sharing what we're doing. Because I, I make, like, five to six images a day. Um, and so much of it, it all exists on The Athletic. Um, but not a lot of it exists, like, on my website and on, you know, Instagram. And it should. Um, you know, as, as creatives, we have to continue to market ourselves. But, yeah, this idea of, like, inspiration and production is something that we're constantly rethinking um and, and like reapproaching um especially in sports design. I I think that you'll you'll look at the visual language of the athletic and see that it kind of um it's taking a different approach that I used to feel was like a little bit brave um and now I feel like we, I I feel validated when um other people uh, like other outlets begin to adopt some of the visual language that we've sort of approach, it's a little bit simpler. Um, and, you know, I, I like I said, the, the production that you've mentioned, um, like why, the why, that's like the big thing, right? The why behind what we're doing is just so important. And I think for me personally, like if anyone's listening to this and going like, I've been thinking about editorial design, I think this is why editorial design was so approachable for me, is because I was looking at the accessibility of visual language and how powerful it is and how it could be abused, right? It could be used in such a terrible way to wreak havoc or it could be used to like elevate really outstanding voices. Um, And so that kind of became my like career thesis It's like I wanted to empower considerate storytellers and I found considerate storytellers at The Athletic. Um, And so that's why it's, it's a very filling thing for me. And it's probably why I'm so bad at marketing my own work is because it's like, that's fulfilling enough, right? It's like living with my wife and then working with these storytellers. That feels good. Right. But I I do need to consider like how I connect with the the greater community as well.
0: Yeah. Well, career thesis as well. uh, Putting a reason for doing your work. That's that's hugely important to myself as well. And, um, how did you come up with that? And, And how do other designers come up with that? Um,
1: well, I think I came up with it sort of sort of the way I just illustrated in that I, I thought of the scalability and accessibility of visual language. Um, you can see, you know, if you read any history of the you know, 20th century, like we, I think we as graphic designers are fascinated with the visual history and design of those times. Um, and you can see moments where it was used for greatness and moments when it was used for just textbook evil, right? Um, and it was used to elevate some of the worst voices in history. Um, and it was destructive. So you you can come to appreciate the power of visual language and, you know, you kind of, you want to be on, on the good side, right? Like you, you want to... Um, you want to find people who are making it their life mission, journalists, um, to tell the important story, to accelerate truth and elevate empathy, and um, like just like being a good person um, and and asking questions and learning from others. Um, the diversity that I think you mentioned in uh, some segment earlier. Um, And so that's why it was easy for me to kind of come up with this vague, but also direct sort of thesis, which was that I wanted to empower um, considerate storytellers with a very key emphasis on the word considerate. Um, So if you're a designer who wants some kind of a career thesis for yourself, I would just very, very abstractly think of what in the world of graphic design or design as a whole is important to you and then what you want to do. And as long as you keep it vague and direct. it's easy to live by, um, or I should say it can be easy to live by. and it's it's uh, widely applicable, right? Um, you you can work for a single person, you could be a freelancer, you could work for a club, you could work for an agency um, and as you could instill that value anywhere you go. Um, and that that makes you easier to understand for your colleagues as well um, and working on a team is so important. Um, so the the more your teammates understand you and the way that you work, um, the easier it is to work together. So I think that's really important.
0: Mm. Yeah, definitely. I yeah, I'm working on uh working on coming up with this wider meaning myself. I think I've I think i got it nailed down. <laughs> it's sort of similar to what I mentioned earlier on about helping sports teams mm-hmm. get a better we yeah, have come into them and then leaving that leaving a better shape you know that's sort of yeah help them establish their own their own vision for their own identity and uh, um how to tell their uh how to tell their, their brand values and that and their uh yeah and their history through visual impact i guess that's probably pretty good mm-hmm. but yeah absolutely
1: and, and empowering those brand values that you just mentioned that empowers the athletes, right? And very quickly, that can empower the township that is is a is a fan group of this particular club. If you change the Philadelphia Eagles, right, you change Philadelphia, and that that's that's the mm-hmm. end of it, right? Um, so your work is is very serious, Mark. It's <laughs> it's it's really powerful, yeah. and the, and those brand values they have legs, right?
0: It's expansive. It's a good message to people listening. I guess this has been an incredible conversation to us. Um, who's your? Who's your going back to something? A bit, well, not you know, not as uh, serious. But what's your? Uh, who's your team, Who's your football teams? Sports teams?
1: Uh, so I actually grew up in New York, but my family is from New England. So my parents met at the at um, Providence College. Go Friars! And right. uh, so I, my whole family, a lot of my family is from New England. And so I grew up in New York rooting for the Boston Red Sox, um, and all of my friends were either Mets fans or New York Yankee fans, um, and I loved the rivalry. I loved being the one Red Sox fan in class all the time. Uh, Patriots, Bruins, Celtics. The Bruins and the Celtics are giving me something to love this year. The Patriots are making it tough. Um, and then, like we said before, LFC. I'm, I'm a I'm a new and huge Liverpool fan. Um, by new, I mean like I think I've been following Liverpool for probably about two, three years. But like I said, the expanding popularity of soccer in the US, that's what that's what made me want a team, right? I wanted to be a part of that world. Um so it's it's really Mm. it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Do you know uh so your guys, the Boston Red Sox owners owners Liverpool um as well they're not much uh, enough much longer they're selling it <laughs> no no but that was that was actually
1: the whole reason why my my family navigated to liverpool was because of fenway sports nice
0: yeah. there's a reason i like that reason they're not just it's, short, <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's a not reason. a
1: great reason right like the the guys yes. who owned my red Sox also own liverpool so um but then and they like, also said,
0: happen to be the best team oh no <laughs> yeah
1: absolutely absolutely that's, that's absolutely great and then that's when you find like these incredible athletes that just inspire you every day you know like new and um
0: you know it like it's just it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun sweet how, how are the projects how do the projects go down at the athletic how uh, like what's the can you give me a rundown of um project turnaround like what's what, when does the brief come in how quickly does, does things happen
1: Yeah, um, terrific question. It's very fast paced, and that's how we like it. Um, So nowadays, the way it tends to work is uh, we approach our, um, we've got kind of like a back end where all of these requests come in from the newsroom. The newsroom on the same like organizational matrix has every single piece that is scheduled to go out over the course of the next several months, and that populates respectively. Um, But as these stories start to pop up on this back end, um, managers and leaders in the newsroom sort of recognize like, that's gonna be a top story, or that's a story we wanna elevate, right? Like there's not too many people who are like fans of this franchise or this particular school, but that's an incredible story. And we need to elevate that in the best way that we can. And that's when those stories come into contact with the design team. Um, And so every day, each member of the design team, as of right now, there are four editorial designers um three of which are really like full-time designers that's um is in uh, ireland and sam is in london um and i'm i'm in kind of new york i'm just outside of new york um and uh, sean is also in new york sean tends to focus a lot on our editorial projection on social um and and but he's been doing a lot more with regard to the pieces themselves and headers and it's been a really wonderful experience um but every day we'll get like four to five pieces on our desk um one of which tends to be uh, the a1 every single day the athletic has a story called the a1 and that's kind of been deemed by the newsroom as the most important story of the day the must read um and that gets a lot of production and consideration behind it on the design team um we take it very seriously and yeah like we'll we'll just we'll get like like cards for like four to five stories and it'll say this is the writer, this is the journalist, the storyteller. Uh, this is kind of what the story is about, the franchises or schools that it concerns. And here's a link to the story. Um, hopefully, we'll have a chance to give it a quick read um, and understand the tone. And we'll go from there. Well, it'll, it'll, it's a collaborative effort always with the story's editor. Um, and There's a lot of back and forth about the correct direction. And every story starts with a blank photoshop canvas you know um so really like you get to the end of the day and you've got like four images in front of you and you're kind of like how the heck did that happen (laughs) like and it happened out of necessity right
0: Uh, yeah yeah very cool i mean uh, so so you go back and forth with the sorry by the way if you can hear um people come around the flat and stomping around the flat because i I've told her, the thing is with London and you live with other people and, you know, people come in and out of the flat. Absolutely. um, Also, my laptop's going to die. It's the second time I've done this since coming back. Um, My laptop's going to die, so I'm going to plug this in very quickly. Uh, (laughs) It's a very rookie error again. I'm sorry about that.
1: (laughs) Not at all. This is one of the virtues of having a a desktop setup is uh, I've got like, oh, oh, I've been working from home for a long time. So I've just had the standing desk. Desktop setup for a while. I'm one of the few people on my team that uses a PC,
0: and that's just because I need to be able to fix it. You know what? I can't believe this. So, so my wife broke my um, laptop charger last night. I normally have two, one for my work laptop, one for my personal laptop. I don't have two anymore. I left it at work. I'm gonna have to go and. I'm really sorry. I have to. I'll, I'll cut this bit out oh, of the podcast, but I'm gonna okay. have to go and get the laptop charger. No, keep this in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, feel free to fill it if you (laughs) can. Absolutely. So hello, everyone. What a nightmare. He's back. (laughs) Did you say anything good?
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, we we had a really nice vein there. You'll be thrilled to hear it back.
0: All right, we're in. We're plugged in. Okay. Um, So I've also forgotten where we were at there
1: uh I, th- I think we were talking about uh process
0: at the athletic mm, oh yes yeah that was it yeah so uh so yes yeah, so communication with the designers from around the world how's how does that go down and uh are you all working on the same projects or are you um uh, all across different stuff different news articles yeah that's a really fun uh challenge for us as a
1: team is that we used to um, always, we always had Sam in London, and it used to be that Sam was the only one who did uh, all of the UK stories, which was almost exclusively football, A uh, huge market, right? right? And so yeah. his his work went everywhere. And I think when we broke down like the most popular stories of the year last year, Sam was like way more than half of them, <laughs> right? Uh, so that was a lot of fun for him, uh, just because the, the market is so concentrated, it's so easy um, to get readers um, in, in front of that story. But um, yeah, we used to have people on the West Coast, East Coast, and London. Um, and so there would have to be meetings that involved all of us, still still are. And that's tough, right? Um, the UK guys, they go online for some eight o'clock meetings, um, which is it's really rough, but we really appreciate the sacrifice from them. Uh, nowadays, uh, we, we actually recently took our desk and made it global. Um, which means that the UK guys are no longer just doing, uh, you know, soccer, football stories, they're doing, uh, NBA stories. Um, and they were joking a little bit too, because on the U S side, we have so many verticals that we focus on. Um, and, and some of them are like very niche, right? So when, when we became more of an international system, uh, universal desk, they were like, Oh my gosh, I get to do a story about NASCAR. It's like, yeah, like rarely do we get a motor story that comes up, but like we do. So now we get to give uh, the UK guys an opportunity to, uh, you know, to take on a story like that or a golf story. Um, Brandon Quinn is like one of the greatest writers we have at The Athletic every single time. I'm not someone who follows golf at all, but I just read his work and I'm, I'm just, I'm so happy. You know, it's, he is such a fantastic writer um and, and like he crafts a story so well. Um, it's easy to follow. and and like his his use of the English language is just very, very nice. Um so I, I, you, you find moments like that that are really wonderful. but um it's a challenge. It's a real challenge, um working across the many time zones, but it can also be a virtue in the sense that our West Coast guys used to be asleep in the morning and you know, if something happened in the morning that they were in uh, morning U.S. side, it would be like 5 a.m. Uh, in California and we needed someone on it. So that's where I got to be an asset. Right now, unfortunately, in the editorial design team, we don't have anyone West Coast. So like, we're I'm like, I'm like, we need someone West Coast because now I'm starting to feel a little bit of the. The UK guys. Sometimes I'm 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 working late um, just because we have editors on the west coast, right? We have storytellers on the west coast, so.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean it's a fantastic having really a global design team like that they work around the clock. Very, but It seems like you've got a very good structure, and it's uh, but one that a lot of people can learn from as well. You know, having people around the world and it makes sense with this dynamic world that we live in. Working, on, yeah, working on teams, working on you know Slack and sauna and all around the world on different pra- platforms. Yeah, especially in the world of sports you know i mean it just it is an international
1: market so yeah it, it needs to be an international team it never stops being rewarding and we actually just had our first offsite not too long ago and it was amazing i gave sam the biggest bear hug i just was you like you exist here, yeah? <laughs> yeah no yeah he came over we actually we went to santa monica
0: um, oh, amazing! So we,
1: yeah, we all went to Santa Monica. We went to the beach and we saw each other. The whole design team, so not just editorial design, um, product, brand, editorial, all came together, uh, and we we got to be together. And we did we did probably like a week's work of, worth of work in like two days. Um, and it's that's amazing, right? That's something that you can do when you're together in one place. Um, but just yeah, it was so wonderful seeing my guys who I never get to see.
0: Because they're in Dublin or they're in London mm-hmm. and so on. Yeah, that's really cool. And, then, and then, well, that because the whole podcast is like a, it's like an echo. I mean, it, the uh, it goes back to the diversity of thought and having you know, someone that from the UK maybe doesn't follow the NBA that often and maybe working on an article about that, giving it a complete different perspective, uh, wise, someone who's working on it who's a massive NBA fan, right? Like, yeah, very important to get those different mm-hmm. opinions and stuff. Um. Yeah, we're Well, let's, let's uh, get this wrapped up and last the last few questions that I'd like to ask on the podcast. Um, so who, at the moment, whose work are you really enjoying? Whose work are you looking at a lot um, for inspiration? And yeah. Yeah, I
1: think um, I like to, and I don't know if he knows this or not, but I like to think of myself as something of a contemporary of Oliver Monday, who I believe is currently the creative director at The Atlantic. I go to the Atlantic for inspiration in editorial a lot. Um, but when I was in undergrad, Oliver Monday was like the one who made me want to be um, an editorial designer. And he made it very clear to me the case for um, utilizing visual language to just like make change in in your community and, and the world you live in. Um, and then when I met him, I, I was a junior member of a, design conference in my undergrad, um, called the multi design conference, and it was completely student led. It was funded by our little student fundraisers. Um, and it was wonderful, but my first year on that team, the second year I directed it with my friend Liv, um, the, the first year I was on it, I was like, we have to get Oliver Monday here. And when I met him, he was just such a kind and conscientious person. I mean, he really was like salt of the earth, wonderful and very humble um, and he loves talking about narrative. He loves talking about like classic books and those sorts of things. Cause he, he came up in Penguin Random House and was doing a lot of covers um, and then started doing a little bit more freelance editorial. And that was inspirational to me. That's what I wanted to do. And so I actually started with book covers. Um, Peter Mendelsohn is like a really close um, person with Oliver Monday as well. Um, and, and he's like, those two are constant inspirations for me. Um, and, and more recently, I mean, Mark Harris, I don't know if you're familiar. He is amazing. You have to look up his work on Instagram. Um, it, it's everywhere. His visual language is all over the place. Um, he He's a master in, in this work. Um, and, and, you know, he's a constant inspiration to people at The Athletic. Joan Wong is another person mm-hmm. I got to meet uh, through the multi. Um, she is fantastic. And another person who is fabulous to talk to, um, and Eric Carter, Eric Eric Carter does like a lot of, of images for the Atlantic, um, and the New York times and Eric Carter is formidable. Like his methods of image making are really outstanding. And like, I'll, I'll just see a new thing. And don't you just love it, Mark, when you have that moment and you're like, how did they do that? (laughs) how did they make that image how did they render that i'm so frustrated that i didn't do that myself um (laughs) i i would say that eric carter is that for me just constantly finding new ways of image making that are fantastic and and you know all these people you know all all these creatives they respond to a message you know which is amazing you know they, they love talking
0: well, actually, I do follow Mark Harris actually. Uh, I think Sam turned him on to me actually. I'll, um, I'll definitely be, well, if you, all of them, I'll be reached out to. They'll probably <laughs> have an email from me or message from me about coming on the podcast and chatting. But um, yeah, I've seen, I've definitely seen Mark Harris' work well before. Um, Incredible. Yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 Uh, so what, what's your best purchase under $100 uh, and it doesn't have to be design related? Best purchase under a hundred dollars.
1: Hmm. Hmm. So, like, some really great purchases recently. I had a wedding uh, with my, with my wife. Uh, that was <laughs> way over a hundred dollars. Um, yep. You know, and then there, all the creative technology. You know, none of that falls under a hundred dollars. Um, my Dutch oven, which uh, up until the the match the other day, we were calling a freedom oven. Um, just you know in in protest Uh, but now you know the Dutch have uh, proven themselves the football giants that they are we are back to calling it a Dutch oven as I said I love cooking and if you are a home chef this is like a really nice way to retire my day and I end my day in design I close every you know apparatus of my workplace my computer becomes a computer again and I just get to cooking you put some oil and aromatics in a Dutch oven and you, you add heat, and your home just becomes this amazing place. Um, you add a little bit of like piano to that. I like to play records, um, little like Nina Simone or like Celeste, any kind of jazz, I put that on, and it's a reset. Um, and I, I think I use my Dutch oven more than anything. It's a it's a magical place, you know? it's like It's like my computer for the kitchen. makes any sense um use a use a lot of pans a lot of pots what have you but nothing more than my dutch oven and uh my wife is a vegetarian and i'm very not uh so cooking Mm -hmm. for this house can be difficult when i'm yearning for meat and it doesn't make any sense to buy meat separately because it costs money um and it takes time to cook so i just try to find a common ground pasta is a very easy common ground for anyone with that unique conflict um and the dutch oven is fantastic for pasta it's really it's so good my dutch oven that's my answer you can get a cheap one yeah, there, there's like there's the expensive ones that are like 300 like the La Crusettes and stuff like that don't do that there's i think um it's from lodge lodge is taking a lot of like cast iron stuff and making it like really cheap get yourself a dutch oven from lodge
0: you <laughs> make
1: bread you make pasta soup whatever you want it's so good
0: there you go it's a good one uh, do you have a life hack for uh, for anyone? A life hack? Oh, jeez. I, I probably... I,
1: yeah, I've got, yeah, Dutch oven is a great life hack. Um, I don't know. I feel like I, I keep... I, I just moved into my home um with my wife recently, and I'm slowly learning a lot of things. You know, just like a lot of things I didn't know before that are important in, like, maintaining a house... Um, and, and, like, keeping a, a space together. Um, yeah, I think I think a, this is not a life hack, but it's good advice. Um, I, I think that, at least in the U.S., uh, people have started, like, thinking of the cheapest thing. Um, and so, like, people are to the point where, like, they look at a credenza or something, like a TV stand, and they're like, that should be $34. Um, if you resent your space, that's the end. Right. Like so like I, I would just say when it comes to creating your space, the space where you work, the space where you live, the space where you hug your spouse um, and and maybe one day raise kids or raise a dog or a cat. Right. Um, you got to love that space. So uh, buy and invest in the furniture that you love. Keep it up, keep it clean. It's not a hack at all. I'm so sorry, Mark. I can't I can't this think is, of a, this is a fantastic I can't think place. of a hack quickly. <laughs> I can't think of a hack quickly. Um but yeah, I would I would say do do that for sure. Keep your pantry stocked too. That's like another <laughs> that another not hack, but just you know, a piece of advice, like keep tomato paste and evaporated <laughs> milk in your pantry because you could always throw something together. Just to, if you have an onion there. You can make a vodka sauce no trouble and everyone's <laughs> happy
0: everyone's happy uh, and that, that's a great that is a genuinely good bit of advice that's something i'm uh well thinking about a lot more um recently and um our is moving out so we're having a bit of change of scenery and um well we, we'll stay where we are but we you know a lot of things are moving on and moving and we want to think a bit more about the way we want our flat to look um in a very small london flat paying a lot of money for it you know how do mm-hmm. we want to remember this flat um so yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. It's a good one. As you can tell by the messy bed in my background, uh is it's not going too well. Uh <laughs> I, should have, I should have made that and I feel I do feel bad because I didn't normally make that in the mornings, but obviously this morning it didn't happen. Listen, um we're working hard. We're working hard in this house. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you can't you can't always make the way. bed. And it's
1: an opportunity, <laughs> Mark. It's an opportunity.
0: Tomorrow will be better. That's the way we go. Moving Absolutely. forward. Absolutely. uh well that's 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 great well thank you very much for for doing this and i really appreciate i'm sure we'll do it again sometime i'd love to uh once i'm a bit older and a bit wiser and you know taking on board what you said today as well i really appreciate it
1: absolutely thank you so much for having me mark and thank you to your listeners i really appreciate the time please subscribe to the athletic please We're, we're doing such hard work over there it's great
0: where can people find uh you and your work as well
1: Oh, uh, you can find me on pretty much any social media site with the, the tag at by John Bradford. Uh, so it's just my name with B-Y in front of it, um, installing a little bit of pompous authorship there. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, you can find me on Dribbble um, if you like. Uh, and please feel free to reach out with anything. I love talking to people, as I'm sure you can
0: discern, Mark. <laughs> That's great. No, that's good. Look um, it. All right. Well, thank you very much. It's been. It's been thank you so much. All right. Are we through? Yes. Done. Um, we did it. Pump. <laughs>